0: Welcome to the Special Needs Kids Are People Too podcast with Amy Bodkin, EDS. Amy is an autistic adult who also happens to be a school psychologist turned special needs consultant and public speaker. She's also a homeschooling mom to two autistic kiddos, a yoga instructor, a card-carrying Trekkie, and an all-around fun person. And last but not least, Amy is an advocate for seeing every child as a person, not a diagnosis because a special needs kid is just like any other child, just more so. Here's Amy Bodkin. Hi, I'm Amy Bodkin, coming to you from the
1: blanket fort in my office, and welcome to Special Needs Kids Are People Too. One of the things that I have discovered is fantastic about having a podcast as an autistic person is that it's the perfect opportunity for me to talk about my special interests to a captivated audience. And so that's what I wanted to talk with to you guys about today. Now, anybody who's been around for any of the previous shows should know by now that one of my special interests is Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I used to watch it as a kid with my dad. And um, I always really enjoyed it. I particularly loved uh, The Next Generation. And the reason that one is my favorite is because it includes so many literary references. Which brings us to another of my favorite interests books. And not just books, but stories. My favorite stories as a child were always mythology. And most of my kids' friends now know that one of my favorite people to recommend is Joseph Campbell. Uh, Joseph Campbell was a mythology professor at Sarah Lawrence. He did a famous interview called The Power of Myth at the George Lucas Ranch. And his book, The Hero's Journey, was actually inspiration for the movie's Star Wars. He's a very fascinating person. Like he knew a lot of mythology from a lot of different cultures and was able to kind of see that we as people have a lot in common. We have a lot of the same ideas, the same feelings, the same um, practices even. It's just dressed up differently depending on what culture you're in. There are some differences too, but there's a lot more similarities than we sometimes like to admit. So mythology was a huge love of mine. I think I discovered mythology in sixth grade. I had found Edith Hamilton's mythology and I loved that book. And we learned about the Iliad during that year in school they just they were stories that captivated me and I mean yes some of the stories that captivate you are because someplace far away that's you know not anything like where you are same way with Star Trek but some of what is captivating about those stories is that there's a part of them that is just like us. I mean, no, I'm not Hercules. I don't have, you know, fantastic strength or anything like that. But there are aspects that we can relate to. My husband likes to say that I am Cassandra from Greek mythology, because I have this sixth sense where I'm able to kind of pick up on information by watching people's behavior. And I can see like tiny changes in their behavior. And I know something's up. I don't know what it is, but I know something's different. And uh, sometimes I can kind of, in a way, see where things are going because of all of these patterns I have observed my entire life. And he says, very often, I see these patterns before other people do. And so because of that, a lot of times people can't see them and they're like, no, that's crazy. So that's, that's who my husband says I relate to the most. Um, personally, I was hoping he was going to say Aphrodite or something, maybe. I, goddess of beauty, but no, Cassandra. Um, but there are so many... That was a joke, by the way, for anybody who didn't catch that. My kids do that to me all the time. They have to say, Mom, it was a joke. I'm like, Oh, I get it. Now it's funny. But at any rate, so going back to mythology... I really started loving mythology when I was in sixth grade. Uh, a few years back, I started reading Rick Riordan and absolutely loved his books. Mythology is one of those things, it's not a story for one time. It's not a story to read once in one way. There's no original that is the definitive version they were oral stories that were passed down and eventually written down and so and and they're also stories that speak truths to us throughout the centuries Um, some might call those living books they're these stories that teach truths to us throughout the centuries but by creating new versions of those books it opens us up To being able to connect with them in new ways and helping the next generation to connect with those stories in new ways. And I think that's really, truly fantastic. Having an interest in mythology also tied in really well with my interest in Star Trek, because Star Trek The Next Generation has so many literary references. My favorite, as far as mythology goes anyways, is (laughs) we often call it the Dharmak and Jalad at Tanagra, episode because you hear that phrase over and over and over again and it's basically a retelling of the epic of Gilgamesh one of the oldest um, myths stories that we have preserved from ancient history there's another one that was I think I think it predated Gilgamesh but it was it's much harder to find I'm not entirely certain we have the complete version of it but it was I think the father or grandfather of Gilgamesh I have a copy of the picture book And then, of course, that then leads me to thinking into Egyptian mythology. My favorite version of Egyptian mythology, actually, is honestly Rick Riordan's. Because Rick Riordan, he just kind of, like, recreated those Egyptian myths in a way that they could kind of come alive for me. Being able to read it in that format, that was the first time I really enjoyed and connected with Egyptian mythology. Greek and Roman mythology I'd always connected with but Egyptian was a little bit later coming around. But The Next Generation also includes references to Shakespeare, Sherlock Holmes. There are so many references. Um, Shakespeare's another one of those. I mean, in a way, you could think of him as having written a lot of English mythology uh, because the work that he did with his plays, or what we think it was there's always going to be some question as to who wrote and who came up with and where people got their ideas from when it comes to ancient literature. But from what we understand, he created this fantastic series of plays, not necessarily all, you know, in one, that really explore the human condition. One of the plays that (laughs) I absolutely hated it when I read it, I ended up loving it when I saw it performed, but I hated reading it, was The Merchant of Venice, Because when you're reading it, it really comes off as rather shocking from an anti-Semitic perspective. But as you get more into it, especially watching it in a play form, and the play form I saw, it was really well done. It was a modern retelling, but it was emphasizing the fact that everyone in that play comes to the play with a bias and that it's basically a play exploring our biases as people. That really changed my perspective on The Merchant of Venice. It ceased being a play that was focused in my mind as I'm reading it as shocking anti-Semitic propaganda, which honestly is not that far of a reach to say because Hitler actually used The Merchant of Venice as Nazi propaganda. It was performed, I think it was 50 times, maybe more, in three years. It's really quite shocking during uh, in Nazi Germany. And there was a lot of emphasis on the anti-Semitic content in those plays. Interestingly enough, J.R. Tolkien was also approached by Hitler about allowing him to use his books um, from the Hobbit Lord of the Rings series, because he felt like it would be useful anti-Semitic propaganda. And he's not wrong. If, if you look at it, I can see why he chose to ask J.R. Tolkien that way. Um, What I appreciate, though, is that J.R. Tolkien did not agree and wrote him back a bit of a, you might say, sassy letter saying, no, thank you. (laughs) So I think that although I understand what Hitler saw in his books, I don't think that they were intended. I think that it was unconscious due to the fact that there have just been a lot of misunderstandings regarding Jewish culture within the larger culture. I mean, we see that even today a lot, but especially at that time in England as well.
0: Are you homeschooling a student or want to be homeschooling a student who learns a little different from the average student? I'd highly recommend checking out a Charlotte Mason Plenary. A Charlotte Mason Plenary is a homeschool company focused on the philosophy of Charlotte Mason. Charlotte Mason was an educational philosopher in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who recognized the importance of not just educating a child body and mind, but also educating them as a whole person with a diet rich in the humanities, the studies of what makes us better human beings. It is not enough to know everything. You also have to know how to use that knowledge in a way that contributes positively to the world. A Charlotte Mason Plenary has all sorts of resources for helping you do Charlotte Mason your way. We also have form guides over there that allow you to plan a customized curriculum in three easy steps. And I even partnered with a Charlotte Mason Plenary to create a developmental form guide that goes with these guides. That explains to you where to place your child and how to make all sorts of adaptations for different types of learners. Go check it out at cmplenary.com.
1: What I find interesting is when we're looking at these stories and we're thinking, okay, what does this tell us about the people who wrote them? What does it tell us about people in general, the kinds of people they're writing about? What does it tell us about us? And that's one of the things that caused me to fall in love with Star Trek, too. Star Trek, the original series, had the first televised interracial kiss ever. And there were also many other episodes where, and actually we've been watching all of the Star Trek TV shows with our kids right now, introducing them to mom's special interest We had to wait a while because they weren't ready for people shows for a long time. They were very happy with their cartoons, and that's fine, but I was super excited when we started getting to share these with them. And so some of the episodes have proved to spark such fascinating ethical and moral discussions with our kids. My favorite episode, the viewer favorite episode of Next Generation, and probably my kid's favorite episode of Next Generation is Measure of a Man. And... Measure of a Man is where Data the android officer goes on trial, basically, so that he can argue that for his rights, for his right to choose, because they are trying to treat him as the property of Starfleet, as not having his own sentience, his own ability to choose for himself And it is a fantastic episode that gets at concepts of slavery and expands those ideas and thinks, okay, you know that slavery is wrong, but have you thought about how you treat artificial life forms? Do you treat that artificial life form on the other end of the telephone with the same respect that you'd treat a human? Or do you take the advantage of the fact that they're not a person to get out your frustrations at them? It's fascinating to think about and also somewhat convicting as well. And I see, I think that these kinds of stories, these kinds of conversations, these are the kinds of stories and conversations that help us become the people that we're going to be. And I mean, yes, religion definitely plays a huge role in that. Joseph Campbell said that mythology is what we call other people's religion. And if you think about it, that's really true. Most of what we define as mythology is somebody else's religion. We never want somebody describing our religion as being mythology, but we very often describe other people's religions as being mythology. But it's these stories that guide us, that help us develop our sense of morality and ethics. As much as I love, love Star Trek, uh, I would not consider that to be a sole basis for my ethical and moral development. There are lots of wonderful hidden lessons in there that we've been able to have with our kids, and it's so fascinating to see the things that they draw out of these episodes. It's so common for us to have moments at the end of each episode for us to sit down, turn off the TV, and just talk for a while about the implications of something that we saw in an episode. We just watched a Deep Space Nine episode where the school on the space station gets bombed, which led to an entire discussion about school shootings. And, you know, is that a comment on that? Um, If so, what's it trying to say? And there's no right or wrong answers necessarily. It's the struggle. And I think that's what I love about mythology and um, Star Trek and stories in general that help us develop those ethical and moral values is that it's not that there's necessarily a total right or wrong answer. It's about the struggle. We can say that it's wrong to be dishonest. But what if that dishonesty saves a life? Is it wrong then? Um, There's so many of those kinds of ethical type questions where we like to think that, you know, it's this nice list of maybe, oh, I don't know, 10 rules that we can just check off and go, oh, check, got that, check, got that. But it's not that simple. Life gets messy. And so the only way to pass down these kinds of values is through story format because the story format is the only format that really works with the messiness of life. That is probably what I love about it the most. So over the next several weeks, we are going to be discussing stories and the importance and value of stories with special guests that I have lined up. I'm super excited about getting to do an entire series on my special interest. That's pretty cool. (laughs) But I think that it's also extremely relevant to other kids who are either autistic or um, have something else going on outside the average or honestly to anybody. I mean, let's be honest, we all have something outside the average going on at some point in our lives. It's called living. (laughs) So I think that this will be particularly relevant. Um, And I think that sometimes when you have a child who is autistic or has been through a traumatic life experience or sees the world a little bit differently, I think sometimes these stories are a little bit more relevant, or more inspiring, perhaps, than they are, if everything's going really well. And I think the reason is, is because we have more questions. Well, I don't see it that way. Why do you see it that way? That's not what my experience tells me. Why does your experience tell you that? So we have a lot of those kinds of questions, and I think that we find a lot of our quote-unquote answers in the messy discussions found within the pages of mythology or in the episodes of Star Trek or wherever you find your mythology. Star Wars is another prime example. It details out the classic hero's journey. And I'm I'm a big Star Trek girl. However, I actually saw, mm, I think, all but one of the Star Wars movies when they were re-released in the theaters the day they came out. So I actually like both of them pretty well, which I hear is a bit unusual. Star Trek is still my absolute favorite, but I'm still a pretty big fan of Star Wars as well. I actually, I got to meet Prudence Farrow at a meditation seminar, and she was sharing with us that Yoda is actually inspired by the Maharishi that the Beatles went to go see in India, that a lot of the way he spoke reminds her a lot of Yoda. And uh, she had also said that a lot of the inspiration for the Star Wars story came from George Lucas's time with the Beatles in India. And I'm not really too surprised, to be perfectly honest. A lot of our stories We could potentially categorize into like different regions. Star Wars definitely has a more Eastern perspective that really lines up more with like Taoism, those kinds of things. Star Trek definitely has a strong Jewish influence. I mean, not only were some of the primary actors Jewish, but the Vulcan hand sign came from Judaism. It was the uh, half of the priestly blessing hand symbol that was used back in ancient times up to today. You can see it on gravestones, too, of families from the priestly line. And then also just Jewish values, because there were a lot of Jewish writers that were in Star Trek. There's also the whole, like, West versus East thing, too. And so your Greek and Roman mythology, that's going to be a lot more Western-based. There's a lot of Eastern mythology as well. Now, Chinese mythology, they kind of destroyed all of it. Well, they didn't destroy all of it. They had a really bad emperor once who destroyed all of it. So we have very little left from the very ancient times. They had it. It just hasn't survived. Kind of like a lot of stuff was lost with the Library of Alexandria as well. Sometimes things get lost and it happens. But there's a lot of Eastern mythologies, too. Indian mythology is very different as well. It just has a very different perspective. And it's really hard to conceptualize. Judaism is very interesting because it really blends the East and the West together in an interesting mix. So that's really fascinating, and especially since there's some shared mythology stories Whatever you want to call them, between Western Christianity and Judaism, which is a blend of East and West, a lot more Eastern than most people realize. And then, of course, there's differences due to like translation, interpretation, original sources, which types of original sources, which ones are included, those kinds of things. And that really gets into the sciencey aspect of this whole like thing of mythology. <laughs> some especially if it's what we consider to be our mythology or the stories of our religion or our conception we tend to get very defensive and especially in the west we we have such a short history compared to the rest of the world we have this tendency to be like okay but what's the original version and sometimes there's no original version um, Arabian Nights, that one comes to mind. Very Eastern. Um, has been translated into English, but there is no true original because it was started as oral tales. And same way with Western fairy tales. Very different from A Thousand and One Nights, the actual name for Arabian Nights. They're very, very different stories, <laughs> but neither one of them has an original. And you also see the same stories repeated over and over again. And I don't think that it was necessarily always that someone's borrowing the tale. Sometimes they were because these stories are old and we don't know how old they were or where they originated. And they've definitely gone through so many different iterations and people have changed things. I mean, even in just Western mythology of Cinderella. I mean, we start out with one of our older versions in French with her wearing a fur slipper and the wicked ses- stepsisters trying to like squeeze their foot into it and then cutting off half their foot to put into the shoe, which is definitely not the Disney version with the glass slipper. <laughs> but there's there's all sorts of Cinderella story versions in other cultures, And so I think there are just, there's certain stories that have been around so long that have kind of become universal and you have no way of knowing where did it start and does it really even matter where it started? Another thing I love about mythology, who cares where it started or about all the nitpicky details? What matters is the story and how that story can change your life. Thanks for joining me today. I am super excited about the episodes we have coming up. I've already recorded a couple of them, and they really are truly fantastic. Uh, I'm super excited. We get to have Living Book Press, which is a publisher um, who publishes old books that are in the public domain that are harder to find now. We've got Laura Faye Smith coming up, who, vo- who voiced Rosalina from um, Super Smash Bros., the Nintendo franchise. And we've got a lot of other fantastic um, authors, Adrian Cress, the author of the Bendy and the Ink Machine series, and so many other guests that you're probably going to be thinking, how are they included in mythology and stories? Um, but that's the thing. As we have aged and uh, developed and created new formats for sharing our stories, we have come up with all sorts of ways of sharing stories. And so we will be exploring some of that in our upcoming
0: episodes. Look forward to seeing you guys next time. Thanks. We hope you had fun listening to today's episode and gained some new insights into the wonderful variety of people in our world. You can find out more about Amy's advocacy work at amybodkin.com. And remember, special needs kids are people too.